0: Hello, everyone. My name is Cliff DuVenois, and after 20 years, I returned to my native Michigan, and in my quest to reconnect with our great state, I want to talk to the leaders that are behind Michigan's top destinations. I'm going to learn more about them and the great experiences they and their team provide all of us Michiganders, and perhaps I'll learn a few things along the way. Welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast. Hello, everyone. Cliff Duvenois here, and welcome to the show. You know, when I was a kid, which was just a few days ago, one of the wintertime memories that I have is watching my dad take off every single year to this mythical land called Up North to watch the snowmobile races in those ridiculously frigid temperatures. Well, today, the Midwest International Racing Association holds events throughout Michigan and Wisconsin, man versus machine versus a very cold nature. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the president of Myra, Carl Schwartz. Carl, how are you? I'm well, Cliff. I
1: really appreciate you guys uh, giving us an opportunity to kind of talk about what we do here at at Myra.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So tell us a little bit about where you're from. Where did you grow up? Well, you know,
1: I'm an actual uh, native of the Upper Peninsula. It's funny you mention that. I grew up in a little town called Rudyard, just uh, 20 miles south of Sault Ste. Marie. And I I came to this snowmobiling thing quite naturally, because back when I was a, a wee lad, we actually had more snowmobiles in the community of Red Yard of 800 people, I think, than we did automobiles. So as a uh, as a young kid, I, my, my parents got the first uh, snowmobile when I was eight years old. So I've been on a snowmobile and I'm now in uh, my early 60s. So I've been snowmobiling my entire life as far back as I can
0: remember. Well, don't hate me, but growing up we had uh, Yamahas. So that's
1: okay. We won't hold it against you.
0: <laughs> nice. And I don't think it is, and I ran across this a lot when I was in Southern California, it always cracked me up, but I, I always thought that it was interesting that, you know, especially up at like in the UP, and I know you see this sometimes in uh, Wisconsin as well, but there are some days where the snow is just so bad, you, you just cannot get out and drive. I mean, the only way you get around is via snow machine.
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's the way it was when I was uh, growing up in the Upper Peninsula.
0: Excellent. So how did you wind up now getting involved? with the racing association?
1: Well, I started off as a racer, as a, as a young guy, again, I mentioned, we didn't aspire to be football players or basketball players. We aspired to be snowmobile racers. We grew up in a small community that had per capita, quite a, quite a few very, very good snowmobile racers. So that was my childhood heroes. So I started racing when I was 18 or 19 years old. And I actually raced professionally for 38 years. I traveled the uh, circuits in Canada all through the US, the Northern states in the US, and participated in uh, all of the professional classes back in the origins of it in the early 80s in the stock racing, went into enduro racing early in 1981. I did a stint in twin track racing, which at the time was called Formula One, which was the premier Car version of a snowmobile, if you will. I raced that tour then on to Formula 3, then on to Champ 440, which these are all the top classes of the era, and then back and forth in and out of enduro racing. So I had a racing career that spanned 38 years, and, and it did real well. it. had a lot of fun, and along the racing part of it, I got involved in the administrative part of the, of Myra organization and helped. And then also at one point even owned a large snowmobile dealership. Some folks might remember my name from owning Saginaw Power Sports Center in Saginaw. So I have been up to my eyeballs in snowmobiling, particularly racing my, my, uh, almost my entire life.
0: Awesome. And so let me, so I'm just curious about this. How does one just become uh, a professional snowmobile racer? I mean, do you do you just one day, do you just say, hey, you know what, I got a snowmobile, I'm, I'm now a racer? How does that work?
1: Well, we, it's a great question because we get asked that actually quite a bit. And, and racing now has advanced so much in the vehicles, the caliber of vehicles, the cost, the speed. It's it's hard to imagine what we race as a snowmobile. They, they look like that from the outward skin, but they're highly customized, highly modified, and, high, and highly specialized. So if a, if a person wanted to get into racing today, usually it's because they know somebody who's already in it and they have had some exposure to the sport, but let's say they didn't. They would come to a group like ours and we have several different categories or classes of wheels that folks can race. And we would start them out on a, on a kitty cat, if you know what those are, with the little kids starting off from two, yep. three years old, going up to eight, nine years old we actually can start them on a kitty cat and then move them on up to junior class racing into semi pro racing and then ultimately like I did end up hopefully as in a pro racing category so there's stepping stone classes you grow as you go you learn and uh, as your skill level expands and hopefully as your budget expands uh, the goal would be to bring you in at the beginning and ultimately become a pro enduro uh, race driver
0: and then from this of course because now I'm, i'm thinking of the fact that if you're out there racing all the time you you need to be at least good enough anyways to make sure that you're getting getting those sponsorships winning cash prizes to make sure that you're able to pay your bills
1: yeah, you know, most of the folks that we know don't go into this to make any money. You I know, mean, you hope that you can get a little bit back to help help cover some of your expenses, but this is really a sport of passion, a sport of, of people do it for the love of the sport. I know you hear that a lot in sports and there's an old saying in, in many things, but in, particularly in racing, if you want to have a million dollars in racing, start with two and that kind of applies. So, we typically, you know, this is not a big dollar sport, although we spend big dollars. We don't, see, it is low, lower purses. And we're really a niche organization to do what we do. But we, we certainly have a lot of fun at it. And my, I own a race team now and very, very serious about this.
0: So, when, when we talk about being very niche, what, like, if, if you're holding an event, like a race or whatever it is, typically how many people show up to, to actually watch?
1: We'll have anywhere between on a low day we could have, you know, on a bad weather day. Weather really impacts whether people come out to want to stand and watch a snowmobile race. The racers are racing unless there's zero visibility from blowing and blinding snow. But assuming that we can see on the racetrack, if it's cold and blustery, you might have 100 people. On a, on a good day, we could have four thousand people in the stands. Nice. And in events as large as we'll get into that, I'm sure in a minute, as the Sioux I five hundred and, and Sault Saint Marie, the granddaddy of enduro racing, there could be as many as fifteen thousand people.
0: So, and actually, let's let's do talk about that because I want to talk about the different types of racing that that you guys cover. I mean, there's there's the one type where is you know you're just basically going around a track, and then I imagine that there's probably other types of racing where you're going out there for, you know, miles on a track. Talk to us a little bit about the different types of events that you have.
1: Well, we are, we only race what we call ice oval events. In the world of snowmobile competition, there are several. I mean, they start in the summer with water crosses, believe it or not, snowmobiles going across lakes and ponds, which I don't quite understand. You'll have grass drags. You'll, in the winter, you'll have ice drag races, cross-country races, where they would go through lakes and side roads and trails. You have snow cross racing, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. They have a national circuit for that. And then you have ice oval and Myra only produces, promotes and holds ice oval racing within the category of ice oval racing. We have split into two different days where on Saturday, we have what we call sprint races and sprint races are where you have a variety of different snowmobiles that that you can race in different classes from, you know, slower, calmer, not as expensive to, you know, wild, full, modded machines, all racing in their individual categories from a standing start, the whole shot into the first corner from three laps to five laps and very fast, very intense days uh, of racing. And that's our Saturday format. And then then Sunday we have our enduro racing, we call it, which is exactly what NASCAR does with automobiles, but we do the same basic game with snowmobiles, and it's very similar format to NASCAR.
0: So when you talk about being a, a, a similar format to NASCAR, are you talking, you know, hundred laps, two hundred laps, three hundred laps?
1: What we do, Cliff, is on Saturday morning we qualify once again, much like NASCAR would do for starting right. position. And we, we set our grid from the pole position on back to the final qualifier. And then on Sundays, we have our pro enduro that starts at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon after we do you know, our, our pre-race ceremony on the front straightaway. And we race 250 laps on a half-mile track. And we've actually now gone the, the three years ago to stage racing, much like NASCAR does so we'll run that race in and 60 60 60 and 70 lap segments and that at the end of each segment we um, throw a what we call a competition yellow and then we groom the track and while the teams have pit stops just like nascar we have a, a pole position we have a pit sled instead of I'm sorry a pace sled instead of a pace car like nascar right. and it's it's just, it's just really f- fun to watch
0: it sounds absolutely impressive. And when you talk about grooming the track, that's because probably after after 60 laps, the, the the sleds have really torn up what snow is already there in place.
1: Another good point. People think because we race snowmobiles, we race them on snow. We actually don't. We race these vehicles on, on ice tracks that start off that look like a hockey rink, but they're oh, wow. typically like a horse track. If you've been to a fairgrounds, You would kind of know what a typical track looks like we before the race of course assuming that the weather cooperates we put hundreds of thousands of gallons of water with big tanker trucks down make lap after lap to flood these race tracks so we can start anywhere between 6 and 18 inches of ice depending on weather and as we're a very unique sport and we're one of the few sports and maybe the only sport that i know of That actually consumes its racing surface with every lap that we go around the track. So if you can imagine what a snow cone, as a kid, you had a snow cone or chopped ice, crushed ice. As those snowmobiles go around with the traction products under the skis and under the tracks to make them stick to the ice, they are shredding that layer of ice as they go. And next thing you know, you've got piles of shredded ice, which looks like snow built up. And we have to plow that off to keep the racing fast and, and
0: safe. Exactly. Plow it off. Do you guys go back out there the, again and then just re-ice the trackway for it to freeze and then start the next set of laps?
1: Nope. We start off with whatever we have at the beginning of the race at Sunday at one o'clock and and, and most certainly by the time we're uh, two thirds or three quarters of the way through the race, you will see dirt showing that will have actually wore out the ice and gone all the way down into the dirt. And these sleds, we keep on going. They're enduro races for a reason. And it is it is a test of man and machine. And we fight the track and the changing. Every lap, the track is changing. The bumps are changing. The, the racing groove or the line is changing. And it's a lot of strategy involved on the driver's behalf.
0: So let's actually take a step back here. How did how did Myra even get formed in the first, first place? What is What is the history behind that?
1: Well, Myra was started in 1979, back kind of when snowmobile, snowmobiling and snowmobile racing certainly was really at a, at a heyday. It was a, a big deal back then. And of course, like anything, you can get bar stools. And if you have two of them, somebody's going to want to race them. <laughs> they wanted to uh, get involved in this thing, but there was no organization behind it. So uh, a, a group of folks started Myra. What makes Myra unique, uh, there are many things, but one of the things is that we are membership owned, board of directors run, not for profit. So when this thing was set up 41 years ago, the idea was not to make any money, but to have a place to go that someone actually thought about what they were doing before everybody showed up. And, and there was a real a real need for it. And then the distances grew actually back then we raced 500 500 laps we went 500 250 miles on these tracks 500 laps wow and now we're down to 250 laps and it's really evolved over the years but our group has been what we call club racing but membership owned uh, your membership is uh, you have a vote if we have any issues we need to vote on just like any other club or organization and the goal is not to make any money but not to go broke and promote good clean safe fun affordable racing.
0: And I could also imagine too that one of the benefits of making some kind of an uh, an organization that's 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 like what Myra is, safety is also a concern like you know let's do something that helps to keep the driver safe because I could imagine probably until there's some kind of an organization formed, you know, any kind of racing events that they had are probably just ad hoc show up and you know I guess whoever was still surviving at the end of the race actually wound up winning.
1: Well, that's right. And the machines, you know, were, were not sophisticated back then, nor was the safety protocols. And now, you know, s- safety is, is paramount on what, on what we do. And for example, now we require the drivers to wear a certain specification of helmet. We require that the drivers or riders wear upper body torso protection elbow protection, shin pad, knee protection, a good boot for foot and ankle protection, a good glove for hand protection, eye protection. These are all requirements. The, these snowmobiles now are fast and we have a tether cords hooked to the driver. If the driver comes off, it shuts the engine off. So we're, we're very safe in in how we let them race. Of course, you know, that is just very important. Then the racetracks, we any place we identify a potential hazard on the racetrack, we work to remove it or we work to barricade it or protect it, you know, should a driver ever make contact with it. There is certain risk, absolutely, in a sport like this, but believe it or not, and unfortunately in Michigan, I think Wisconsin numbers are about the same. We have 30 to 35 deaths a year on our Michigan snowmobile trails. Wow. And, and, and we have that number have been consistent for years and years and years and we rarely, rarely have a catastrophic injury in snowmobile racing. So I would argue to people that have asked me over the years, why would I do this, especially for 38 years as a driver? I said, I feel a lot safer on a racetrack than I ever did on a snowmobile trail.
0: Yeah, that's, I could definitely see why that would happen. If you're out on a snowmobile trail, you know, especially if you're by yourself or what it is, if, if you got an accident, man, you're, you're out there and good luck getting cell phone service, you know, especially... You know, if you take a trip back in time, 20 or 30 years, I can imagine it was even worse.
1: Absolutely. You know, and, and we go to some events and we do drug screening, we do alcohol screening. You know, we, we take this very seriously. And, and I say on the trails, I've never seen a tree lose a battle with a snowmobile. <laughs> and, you know, we are on a racetrack. We're all going the same direction. We're all, you know, organized and we're all in the class of a snowmobile that, you know, is competitive with the, with the same snowmobile. And the, and the the fellows that ride these things are just real professional. They're very good at this.
0: Oh, I bet. I absolutely bet. And speaking of which, because I know you said you've been racing for a long time, and you know this is kind of curious. I mean, I've I've been on a, a snow machine uh, quite a bit when I was a kid. I haven't done so lately as an adult. But why don't you why don't you talk to us about what it's like to to be a racer to have these machines to, to have all that power? You know literally at your fingertips and there's you know there's literally nothing separating you from the air around you i mean you're just you're just basically on a sled holding on for dear life so talk to us a little bit about what that's like
1: well on, on on top of that in order for a snowmobile to go around a corner at the speeds that you carry you use your body as your ballast as your counter ballast so the snowmobile of course stays flat to the ground so you take your your weight your whole body is hung over the left side of the snowmobile so you're, you're hanging on to the handlebars with your knee and, and your hip almost rubbing the ground, rubbing the ice to keep that snowmobile so you can go around a left-hand turn. But where an automobile, you're strapped in a seat in a snowmobile, you know, the driver input is, is incredible what you can do just by changing your body position. But what a lot of folks will struggle with, and I think one of the hardest things to understand is is the visibility. When you have a helmet on and you close your visor for eye protection and away you go, these snowmobiles, you know, kick up a dust or we call it ice dust. And, and if you're behind that, one of the biggest challenges is a lot of times you're kind of in a fog and you really have to have a sense of of place, set feel. It's uncanny for a snowmobile racer that they can sense what's around them, where they are on the track, even if their visibility isn't always that good, and of course, until they can break out of that, what we call dirty air, and get a, and get a better look, so it's a, it's a little nerve-wracking, there's a lot of faith in your fellow driver, the speeds are high, and but you know, when everybody's going the same speed, you really don't, that doesn't really what gets you. It's, it's the placement and the visibility to see well uh, of, of what you're going and what, what's around you. And, the, and then the speed on the straightaways is fun. You, c- you carry that kind of speed into the corner. And, and we have really good brakes now, hydraulic. Uh, some are even liquid cool brakes. Nice. And, and you just hang on and, and away you go.
0: You know, yeah, that brings up a good point. I mean, you guys don't have any kind of like windshield wipers installed on the helmets or anything to keep them clean? What
1: you do on straightaway, (laughs) you you use your left hand, the index finger on your left hand. So as soon as you clear the corner where you can take a hand off the handlebar safely, you'll see the drivers actually wiping their goggles or wiping their visors if if they were a visor system and, and try to wipe that bit of snow dust or moisture from the corner that they got maybe got sprayed with before they get down to the next corner. So yeah, they're always uh, trying to use their hand as their as actually their windshield wiper, their left left hand.
0: So for anybody in our audience listening to the show, there's your Shark Tank idea. Try to come up with some kind of windshield wipers with the visors. Great. So let's talk about because you know we're 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 approaching the end of 2020. We're we're you know we're going to be hitting your heyday. Here and I know I know you've got some events planned because I've been on your website. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's uh, what we can expect going into twenty? You know, either the end of twenty twenty or twenty twenty one.
1: Well, our race season will actually start on New Year's weekend of twenty twenty one, and so our seasons are always twenty. This would be considered the twenty twenty one season because we go, you know, we lap into that into the new year. But we're going to have our first event at the Kinross Fairgrounds, Chippewa County Fairgrounds in, in Kinross. Now, Kinross is just south of Sault Ste. Marie, right near the little town of Rudyard where I'm from, and north of the Mackinac Bridge about 40 minutes and south of Sault Ste. Marie maybe 20 minutes. It's a beautiful uh, fairground facility there, nice big wide half mile track and we'll be there on December 2nd for the sprint race program. And, and I'm sorry, just January 2nd and then January 3rd for the pro enduro that'll start at one o'clock. And that race is going to be sponsored. We, we are, as I mentioned, a not-for-profit. So we do everything with, with donations of time, energy, and of treasury. And in this case, this race is sponsored by the, a bunch of Eastern uh, Upper Peninsula merchants got together. And this race will be called the EUP Merchants 250. And there's uh, 10 different business people that got together to, to help raise some money to bring us back to Kinross. So we're excited about that. Then, then we have a really big announcement. Um, the first time ever, we are going to be going to Eagle River, Wisconsin. Now, now Eagle River, Wisconsin is known in the Midwest as, as one of the meccas of snowmobile racing. And then Eagle River is what's called the World Championship Derby facility they call it the world championship derby track and for the first time myra is going to be racing for a the first ever pro enduro world championship and it's kind of our our series is daytona 500 here where we're racing for a world championship the second race in it's a big deal we've been invited to come over there by the owners of the racetrack and that will be january 16th and 17th and our event the final, the, the main event will be the 17th at 3 p.m. on a Sunday in Eagle River, Wisconsin. And uh, our our group, let me tell you, is really, really pumped up about this. Sweet. Then, then we come home back to back, back to Michigan. We're in Gaylord for the second time this year. We went last year, the first time, to the fairgrounds in Gaylord. It was well-received, even though we really struggled with the weather. We had such a soft winter We'll be there on the 23rd and 24th of January. We do not have a title sponsor for that race yet. We're struggling a little bit with that one. And that race is actually going to be held right along I-75, which is exciting, right across the street from the old Jay's Sporting Goods on that first Gaylord exit. And we're excited about that uh, race to show everybody in the middle of Michigan at our, our lower peninsula. That's our you know, hot spot. Sure, It's a great spot for Myra Myra to be involved in. Then we take the next week off for the Sioux I-500 race. Now, the Sioux I-500 has been around a long time. I think 50 years now they've been running the Sioux or more. I actually participated in 28 of them as a driver, and we take that weekend off. That is not a Myra event, but the vast majority of the field up there will be Myra racers, and that is February the 6th on Saturday. That's a 500-mile race on a one-mile iced oval track that'll take eight and a half hours. You want to talk about a grueling, grueling event, that's the one. Yeah. We come back from the Sioux with whatever's left, and most of us (laughs) enduro race teams have dedicated vehicles just for that race. So we race a different style or a different configuration of snow wheel on a half-mile track than we do a one-mile track, kind of like what NASCAR does with – Shorter tracks, intermediate tracks, and super speedways. Most teams have uh, what we call short tracks or half-mile track race sleds and then one-mile track. So we'll pull out our half-mile sleds again, and we go to Carroll, Michigan on the 13th and 14th of February, which is, uh, of course, we consider that our home track if you live down here in southeast Michigan. That's as close to home as we get. And then we finish up our season, and back in Carroll, we're right in right in town in the in the fairgrounds, right in the middle of the of the community. There, it's a lot of fun. And then we finish our season in Lincoln, Michigan, on the twentieth and twenty first of February. And that Lincoln is the Alcona County Fairgrounds, just south of Alpena. It's a little community called Lincoln, and, and man, is that a great place to race? It's a uh, natural terrain stadium type of a setup there. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen where the, the hills on the sides slope down to the racetrack below. So the vantage point, there's not a bad seat in the house. We get thousands of people show up for that event. It's a five eighths mile track. It's a big, fat, fast, flat racetrack. And any driver you ask, what's their favorite track to race on? They will tell you it's Lincoln, Michigan. Sweet. And That's awesome. Running, gosh, uh, so this will be the most intense race uh, schedule we've had in, in in probably 20 years. For us to run five races plus an I-500 is really, really intense for a pro enduro racing team.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Because I can imagine most of the time throughout the year, they're not too much thinking about racing on a sled until the snow hits.
1: Well, actually, that's not quite exactly how it works. For example, oh. my team, we we are a Applebee's sponsored Polaris sponsored snowmobile team. We actually run our operation eleven months a year. So when February, when March first um, comes around, we'll take usually we'll take the month of March off and then we start rebuilding and building new snowmobiles April first.
0: I get it now. Okay. For some reason, I thought you guys were racing throughout the summertime. I'm like, where are you guys going The North pole? I get it now. So you're
1: building we're in the shops, uh, a lot of weekends in the summer, tearing things apart, planning our new season, working on what we're going to do different than what we did, uh, celebrating our successes and, and, you know, focusing on what we didn't like. And I mean, like I say my team, we come together 11, 11 months
0: a year. So let me ask you a question here, because I know that You know, and you kind of mentioned before you were talking about different kind of configurations for the snowmobiles that you guys use. I mean, is it just I mean, is it something that you just walk into your, you know, your Polaris dealership and be like, yeah, give me, you know, give me that snow machine there. And then you go out and run. And if you if you are modifying them, where do you get the parts? Is there like a snowmobile racing store that you go to or do you mill them yourself?
1: Well, that's a, another great question, Cliff. The, there's a whole combination of that. So, so, again, I'm speaking specifically about the pro-enduro main event that Myra puts on. Those snowmobiles have to be based as a, a production-based snowmobile. And what's interesting, each one of the manufacturers produces what they call their super sport snowmobile. And it's a designated race sled primarily used for snowcross racing. So we take those snowmobiles, they have to be a production-based vehicle, and then we highly modify them from what they originate as a snowcross snowmobile into an ice oval snowmobile. So that's our, that's our starting platform. And then from there, we change the front suspensions, we change sway bars, we change rear suspensions, we do a different style of track, rubber track than, than the snowcross guys do. We run different gas tanks different skis. We do different things to our hoods, our windshields, our handlebars are drastically different. We run quick fill gas tanks like NASCAR does. So your gas man plugs the bottle in and fills you at a gallon a second, just like they do. That's awesome. So the uh, shock packages are, are dramatically different. So when we're done with these things, they would look like a Polaris or a Ski-Doo or an Cat, uh, but under the hood and, and, and the components are, are highly modified. modified and many of them expensive. And, and where we get these parts, there, is a, there are several aftermarket manufacturers of racing parts that we would go to, plus then the manufacturers oftentimes will produce parts uh, for each racing discipline to modify these vehicles to however you're using them. So it's a combination. And then other things we make ourselves, depending on if it's, you know, within our set of rules.
0: Sure. Man, that's, pre- that's, that's actually pretty awesome that the manufacturers, they themselves are getting involved.
1: Oh, yeah. And we'd like to see them involved more, but but they, they do give us contingency money. If you do, you know, certain placements on a, let's say you ride a player's so in your first, second, and third, you know, they'll sweeten the purse a little bit and they will provide components. They'll provide some directions based on their testing. A lot of this, we're on our own. I mean, in my team, for example, we have full machine shop uh, services that, that support us. and uh, yeah, we're 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 always scheming and thinking and inventing and trying, and that's kind of the fun of it. I, I think. it really allows uh, your f- people on your team to be creative. and our rules are liberal enough that we let you do things, uh, but yet we rein you in on on certain other things.
0: Now, when you're going out there and you're especially when you talk about like sometimes you guys are even like creating custom parts you know obviously if you're modifying these machines you're getting off spec you're you know you go out there and you race them or you try them out what is it that what is it that makes you come back and say you know what we modified that part and you know now the machine is worse or the machine is now better whatever it is how, how what is that iterative process that you guys go through
1: well it, a lot of the times it'll be whether or not we had a part that will fail I mean, it could be something as simple, a great example, last year we were in a race and we were uh, in Eagle River, as a matter of fact, before it became a world championship race and we were running at the front of the pack and we had a a silly thing like a fuel vent, just a little toggle switch you turn to vent your fuel when you're filling your race tank, come out of the gas tank. I mean, this is a $6 part and that that came out of the fuel tank and doused the driver with with fuel during the race caused us to come in for an unscheduled pit stop, of course, not to mention the you know, safety concern we had. And, and now this year, we looked at that and we said that no, was a fail. So we redesigned how we invent our fuel tank. I mean, that's just one example. And there are hundreds of those examples. But the other way we can tell is, of course, how well did you do? If you weren't fast enough, do you need to look at your motor if you did not handle and turn well enough? Maybe you're going to fo- put your energy and your focus on your chassis, your handling, pa- your shock package, uh, your chassis package more than you are your your engines, if you're happy with your engines. But it's just, again, I go back to to the NASCAR comparison where they have engine shops and chassis shops. We we aren't that sophisticated, but we have those programs within our snowmobile program, believe me. In my case, I send engines to Minnesota to have them modified, and we do our own, our own chassis work in my shop.
0: Man, that's totally awesome. I I think I could sit here and pick your brain for the rest of your day. This is this is really cool. If if anybody's listening to this episode and uh, they want to follow m- what Myra's doing, they want to learn more about the events coming up, maybe they want to, you know, come on out either to uh, Lincoln or to Caro, what would be the best way for them to uh, connect with you online?
1: Oh, that's great. We we have Myra, M-I-R-A Racing.com is our is our webpage. And matter of fact, it's gonna get a bunch of updates very shortly. Our, our 21 schedule is on that. Another way to do that is on our public Facebook page, which is Myra Racing Facebook. And, and if they wanted, for an example, to follow uh, most of the major race teams in the Pro Enduro have their own public Facebook pages. Like mine is Carl Schwartz Racing, Carl with a K. They can follow our team along in the journey that we take from start to finish and weekly updates. And, and what well, we'd love to see anybody who has an interest, I, I think we're one of the best kept secrets in winter motorsports, but our, our, we're getting a lot of attention placed on us the last couple of years since we've gone to stage racing and some of these other venues haven't done as well. But one of our biggest challenges is just, has just been climate change. We need cold weather. We don't need snow, but we need cold weather to make ice. And our single biggest challenge anymore is, 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 climate change. And we just don't get the winter weather that we used to get to make these racetracks and it's, it's been a real challenge for us.
0: Well, based on everything that's happened with, you know, these stay at home orders and COVID-19 and stuff, I hope you get what you want this year because people just need to get out, <laughs> you know, I need to get out. So
1: and we're looking forward to a great year. We hope COVID isn't going to, you know, spoil our fun and uh, we're planning on racing full steam ahead everybody's in full racing mode right now believe me and yeah we're 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 hoping to get this 20 behind us everybody is and, and move on to a much much better looking 2021 and our our group is is no exception to that
0: amen brother i appreciate that carl thank you so much for for being on the show today i do appreciate it i enjoyed it cliff thanks and thanks to all the people listening hey everyone if you enjoyed this episode then subscribe to our email newsletter when you subscribe you'll get new episode announcements You'll get all kinds of great behind-the-scenes information on upcoming guests. Plus, you'll receive special offers from our guests and partners that you can only get through the email newsletter. Subscribing is quick, easy, and best of all, it is free. Just go to callofleadership.com slash email, type in your email address, and you're done. Once again, that's callofleadership.com slash email. I'll catch you in the next episode.